Welcome to the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where personal finance is about the person, not the numbers, and budget isn't a four-letter word anymore. Here's your co-host and certified professional financial coach, Jill Emanuel. Uh, Hello, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is your host, Coach Jill Emanuel with Fiscal Fitness Phoenix, and welcome back to the Fiscal Fitness Podcast podcast. I am always glad to have you back listening in one more time. And today, this podcast is my (laughs) tell-all, my top five big money mistakes that I am going to share with all of you because I think it's so easy for us oftentimes to look at others and think, well, they're doing good now because they didn't do this. They didn't do the stupid thing that I did or they knew better from an earlier age and so they got a head start or they had some sort of privilege. And let me tell you, everyone has their share of mistakes uh, to differing degrees, obviously, but we all have our things that we are working through. And I hear sometimes from people that tell me, well, but you have it all together. You've got it all figured out. And it's kind of laughable a little bit because I certainly have not always had it all figured out. And I cannot claim to have everything figured out. I don't think I ever will. But I certainly have made strides, right? And I think that that is the bottom line. And that's so much of the reason why we do what we do is because we truly believe that no matter what your mistakes were in the past, what decisions you've made, what lack of information you had before, you can always learn something new, learn to do things differently, break your old habits. And that is the entire point of the Fiscal Fitness Podcast and our coaching with our clients is that we're really helping to encourage others that they can grow and they can learn from their past mistakes. And part of that, I think, is sharing our own mistakes. And I certainly have plenty. So this podcast today, I was thinking about the like biggest financial mistakes that I've made. And you know, there have just been there have been a ton of things over the years that I think, gosh, if I could go back, wouldn't I do that differently? But I think there are five big ones that were the most overall like detrimental to our finances for the long term or like really held us back. And if by sharing them, I can somehow prevent someone else from doing the same stupid thing that I did, then my day will be made. (laughs) So I'm going to fully uh, undress my financial mistakes and share them with all of you, sharing that vulnerability so that you know you're not alone if you've done something that maybe wasn't the smartest thing in the past. So I'm going to share my very first mistake going way, way back. I think that my initial big financial mistake began probably when I was graduating high school and entering college. And there were a few things that happened at that point in life. So if you have a child who is a high schooler or who is a college student getting ready to graduate and go to college, this one is for you. You want to be thinking about this. One of the things I look back on now and wish that I would have done differently is I really, really wish that I would have begun investing very 
early. And I actually think, wouldn't it have been grand because I didn't know anything at that age and at that time, but wouldn't it have been grand if my parents just took the money I got from my college or high school graduation and just invested it for me, like gave me a couple hundred dollars to get started with and took the rest of that and said, we're putting all of this into a Roth IRA for you. You don't know what this is, but this is where it's going. Um, If they would have educated me, that would have been great. But I think, gosh, how much money that would have earned over the years. And if I could have just gotten started early and started making very small automatic payments right off the bat to initially learn that habit and learn the automation and start to see how the money grows over time, I think that would have done wonders for not only building my net worth to this point in my life, but just to creating that long-term consistent habit that I could have then strengthened over the course of the years. So I know so many of you can probably relate to this one where we look back and we say, coulda, woulda, shoulda, if only I had done it differently. And many of us feel like we're getting too late of a start. We wish that we would have been investing earlier. We wish that we would have been paying closer attention to our money in our 20s um, or 30s or 40s for that matter, or 50s. You know, there's no time limit really. And whichever age that you are at now, I know most of us can say, I probably could have done it better. And I think that would have been something that would have greatly helped me just in the long run if I would have been disciplined and, you know, knew the importance of investing and compound interest at that point in my life, which I just, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I actually remember one of my best friends in high school, she started putting money into an IRA when she was working as a waitress all throughout high school. And I didn't really know where it was that she was putting her money. I just knew that she had talked about putting it in an IRA. And I thought, I don't understand that. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing. I'm spending mine going to the movies and going shopping and you're putting yours into an IRA and that's great, but why? I didn't understand. And now I look back and think, gosh, if I would have been maxing out my IRA when I was 18 years old, holy cow, that would have been great. So for any of you who do have high school students, college students, those that are graduating, going to be getting gifts of money, any of that sort of thing, or even maybe getting married and they're very young and they're getting a bunch of gifts, possibly talking to them about the importance of investing and starting with that little bit and setting up those small automated payments to continue to build that over time. Wow, that would have made such a big difference. The next thing that was almost at the same stage of life now that I look back is my college education. And I guess I, you know, went to college knowing I was going to get a degree. I always had in my head that I was going to get a doctorate. I didn't even know what I was going to be studying. I just knew I wanted to be a doctor. There had never been a doctor in our family. Um, it was just something that I like really wanted to pursue and say I had reached that level of expertise and education. And so getting a doctorate was really important to me at that point. And I didn't really think much about the cost of the education. I just looked at how would I get the degree. And you know, knowing what I know now, I think 
oh my gosh, if I would have sought the help of a college you know, consultant, a college admissions consultant, someone that could help me to find scholarships and to qualify for them, someone that talked to me about the overall cost of the education. Because in my head at the time, you just went to college and you took out whatever loans were needed to get through college. You took out as much as they approved you for, and that's what you lived on. And that was just what you did. Like I didn't question it. I didn't think about it. I didn't have anyone advising me or guiding me in any other way. And I can see now how detrimental that was coming out of school, having $150,000 in student loans. I did get my doctorate, but that was nine years of education, nine years of living expenses taken out in loans, you know, to pay for my tuition, my books, my, you know, apartment um, while I was going through school. And now I know that there are so many resources to help reduce the cost of college, that there are coaches that help to, you know, train the student and get them ready to submit their applications for scholarships and pairing them with the school that is the best for the degree they want to pursue and the cost they want to pay, that we can do so many things now to get college credits while we're still in high school or to attend a community college before going to the you know big state schools. And I think it is so wonderful and amazing to see people be more creative around this area of their education to find a way to get through school without $150,000 in student loans. So that was definitely something that I know was a huge setback for me. And I, I just did not understand the impact that all of those loans would have. I just thought you get loans, you get through school, and then you work and you start to pay it off. And that's just how it goes without really understanding how much it would really be and all of the interests that would accrue over the years. So anyone who has a high school student getting ready to go to college, this is definitely a place to set them up for success, to help them to seek the guidance, seek the coaching, to reach out to a college admissions consultant that can maybe help them get into the correct school. I fully believe that it is well worth paying someone $500 or $1,000 or whatever it may be to get into the correct school with, with scholarships and in the correct way so that they don't come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans. It's an upfront cost for you know, a lifetime of savings. Um, and I'm actually going to be interviewing someone on the podcast next week who helps with scholarships. I'm super excited to bring her on. So that's going to be amazing which is one of the reasons I've been thinking about this so much. Um, so those two things from early life, I think that those were some of the biggest or most impactful sort of mistakes that I made very early on. So following that, kind of the other major mistakes that I think I made, one is that I wish that we did not buy our house when we did. I wish that I did not get sucked up into this belief that when you are an adult, when you are successful, that you are supposed to buy a house and that that is always the financially smart thing to do. And that is how you earn equity and you don't want to waste your money renting. Like, don't get me wrong. 
real estate is wonderful and it can be a fantastic investment, but I wish that we would not have purchased our house when we did because it happened to be at the peak of the market before it crashed. So we purchased in 2008 and the market was already on its way down, but it had just begun in our area and it crashed in the following nine months probably. So we wound up completely upside down in our home. We qualified for a loan that was 10-year interest only up front and then fixed 20 on the back end, which again, we were young and you know, young, stupid newlyweds. We didn't know what we were getting into. Our mortgage broker and realtor were touting all of these awesome loans that were available for first-time home buyers. And we got suckered. We fell for it. We bought into it. We got into our house thinking, oh, yay, it's something we can afford. And we really shouldn't have bought the a house, the price that we did. I look back now and think, oh my gosh, if only I had someone like what I do now coach me through what the real expenses of home ownership were going to be and how this was going to impact our overall lifestyle and the stress that it was going to place on our shoulders, we would have done it differently. We probably would have rented for a couple of years. We would have saved up a bigger nest egg to put down for the down payment if we had done that, oh my gosh, you know, we could have gotten a house like the size of ours for half the price, if only, but no one knew, no one knew what was happening with the market. But I think that one of the, you know, big mistakes is that we did not, we didn't fully know our budget. We didn't fully know our numbers. We kind of looked at what dollar amount do we think we can pay every month? And it looked doable. And we trusted in what, what we were being told by the lender and by the realtor and not that they were trying to misguide us. I don't ever think that that is truly their intent. At least hopefully it's not right. I do believe that at least the realtors that I've worked with and the mortgage lenders I've worked with, they truly are wonderful people, but they don't know all of the other expenses that we have necessarily. And they don't know where we want to place the rest of our income. They don't know if we want to put it into investments or if we want to travel or if we have a hobby that's really expensive that we want to have money for. They're looking at how much do we make and how, what percentage of that could go into a home loan. And if the numbers on that aspect line up, then we're good to go. And when we look at our lifestyle and where we would rather have money going, it probably would not have all been to a mortgage right? We would have found other things. In fact, we know that we have other things that we would much rather be spending our money on, but woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? We look back in time. So I think one of the most important steps for people when they are thinking about buying a house, that's one place where I help so many clients. I do a Eureka session, I think at least once a month or more with someone's purely from the point of view that they are thinking about buying a house and they want to know, can I really afford this? And what are the different expenses? And what am I not thinking of? And I give them such props, like total kudos to these clients for reaching out, for being that aware that they're about to make one of the biggest financial investments of their lifetime. And they want to know that it's actually smart for them. I think that's amazing and so great. And I wish that we would have known that that was even something we could seek help with when we were shopping for houses, but we just didn't know that. And 
in hindsight, you know, we would have probably done things a little bit differently, but here we are. We have finally, last year, we finally gained enough equity back in our home to be uh, break even. And now we have enough equity that we're actually ahead. But we've been here for 11 years, 11 years to build back that uh, value in the home. And so, you know, we stuck it out. Um, and we, we do love our house. We love our neighborhood. But my goodness, that's a lot of years of lost earning potential from buying too early. And I think there's just something to be said that, you know, renting is not always the worst thing. People sometimes give it, you know, the thumbs down. They think it's not the smart thing to do, but renting a home, especially when you are not in a position to fully invest all of your money into purchasing real estate. I mean, it saves you all of the maintenance and upkeep and headache of when something breaks or needs to be repaired. There's someone you can call for that. They do it themselves. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits that go into renting that sometimes we don't want to pay attention to. So, um, yeah, I wish that we would have rented for a couple of years longer if I could do it all over again. Um, okay, so that was number three. Number four, uh, I wish, right, one of the other big mistakes, I think was this um, very early belief, this in, you know, in my brain belief that because I was a doctor now, because I had spent so much time and energy and effort going to school and I had really paid my dues and now I was earning six figures that I could do anything I wanted, <laughs> that I had worked hard enough, that I earned it, that I deserved it. I could rationalize almost any purchase with this idea that there was another big check right around the corner and I had done my time and I had, you know, been in school for so long and didn't have a house and, you know, just felt behind all of my other peers that had already graduated and gone on in life to buy homes and get married and have careers. And that by the time I finally got there, I felt like now is my time. And I believed that I did not have to watch my spending. And, you know, we used to be called, the podcast used to be called The Saver and the Spender. And it is because there's really two very different personalities oftentimes when it comes to money. And they're oftentimes in relationships too. There is one personality who's the spender, one who is the saver. In our case, for Matt and I, unfortunately, we were both spenders. We both had a spender personality. We both had the same mentality around money that it was there to be lived. It was there to be enjoyed, that there was more where it came from, that we both had good careers. We would always have more. We had always gotten by. We would be just fine. And this mentality, especially because we both had the same mentality, we encouraged each other almost to blow every penny. And, you know, I could look back now and feel really ashamed about the way that we managed our money for the first five years or so of our marriage, but that really isn't going to do any good. So, you know, we've kind of come to terms with the fact that we made our fair share of mistakes early on, that thank God we have gotten help, that we have changed our tune both very dramatically to the opposite side now where 
We love to save, but we also still have some of that desire of splurging and that it is fun to spend. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just about doing it with balance and not doing it with that mentality of I've earned it. I've deserved it. I work so hard. I have every right to blow my money. Instead, I feel that, you know, it's a total flip on that and that we really, we've earned the right to keep our money, right? We've earned the right to have more in the bank and to have more freedoms and more flexibility and less stress than what we would have if we spent all of our money every single pay cycle. And that is definitely what we did early on. I mean, I remember we when we were first dating and first married, we would go out to dinner almost every night of the week. Uh, We would go to wine tastings and elaborate dinners. And I mean, we would spend $250 on a meal for the two of us with drinks. And now I just can't imagine doing that except for very specific special occasions. But we would just do that on a Friday or Saturday night. Like it was fun. We loved to be foodies. We didn't have any other real responsibilities. We didn't have kids yet. And I look back now and I think about the thousands and thousands of dollars that we literally ate and drank away. And because of this like feeling of entitlement almost, and it is a bit embarrassing. It is a bit... Um, humbling to think, gosh, I can't believe that I did that. And thank goodness I've learned better. Um, but you know, that, that belief, I think, was one of the biggest errors that we made in our financial life early on. A big money mistake is that we held that story true, that we felt it you know, we could rationalize with ourselves. We would tell ourselves that. And so if you are someone that here's yourself saying that like, oh, I've been working so hard. I feel like I deserve this shopping spree or this you know, elaborate vacation or to spoil my kids at Christmas. I want you to pause and just question that. Like question, do you really deserve to spend everything you have to be broke, <laughs> right? Because that's what it is. We believe that by purchasing things and buying things and having more experiences that our life is really more fulfilling, but it ultimately leaves us feeling very empty, especially when we wind up feeling very stressed or worried or anxious because we feel behind, right? We feel like we're not making as much progress or we don't have as much to show for it or the thing that we purchased, we totally forgot about by a week or two later and we just don't care about anymore. So I think that one is a big red flag for me because I know that I lived and breathed it for a number of years and it did so much damage to what we could have been doing in our financial lives because of that deep held belief. Um, So I would just call you out a little bit. I urge you to pay attention if that thought creeps into your mind, that thought of entitlement or rationalization or the feeling that you deserve it to really question and ask yourself what it is that you really want, what it is that you really deserve. Do you deserve to be working when you're 85 because you spent all of your money in your 20s and 30s living it up? Like you don't want that life. You don't want to be the Walmart greeter. You want to be able to relax and enjoy family and travel and not stress about how you're going to pay the bills 
later in your life. And along the way, you deserve to not feel dread, like dread. You don't, the weight on your shoulders, the inability to sleep because you're stressed or worried about things. You deserve that peace of mind. You deserve to build enough in savings that you don't have to worry when the car breaks down or if you lose your job, you deserve that, you know, nest egg there to support you. So that was definitely one of the big mistakes I think that I made very early on was holding that belief and behaving around it in a way that was really detrimental to our finances. And then the last, the last big money mistake that I will say we made was we waited too long to ask for help. Okay. So I know that this is like not a mistake per se, because it's not like one specific thing that I wish we would have changed, but I do wish that we would have found out that financial coaching was even a thing, that there were people that helped with this. I had no idea that someone like what I do now even existed, that you could seek help and advice on what to do with your money as an individual, (laughs) that there were coaches for that. I didn't know it was a thing. And you know, there was this recurring pattern within our lives around our money where it kept causing arguments. It kept causing stress. We kept revisiting. How can we do this differently? What do we have to do? How do we get on a budget? Let's try all these different apps and all these different programs. And we went through, you know, FPU twice, I think. And we tried the envelope system. There was a digital one that we tried doing and we tried using mint and we tried paper budgeting and envelopes and no credit cards. And I mean, goodness gracious, we did the gamut. It was not for lack of trying. It was not for lack of researching. It was not for lack of information because we had all of that and we sought it out actively on a regular basis. And yet these patterns of building up debt and then paying it down and building up debt and then paying it down and always feeling anxiousness whenever there was an emergency that would arise or always kind of questioning or second guessing after we had gone shopping or when we went on a vacation, this buyer's remorse feeling that would keep coming back to us. Uh, it, it was a pattern that we lived with for years. And we always felt like we would get a little bit better and then we'd kind of fall back into it again and then we'd get a little bit better. And I really think it was pride for the most part, which prevented us from speaking out about it to anyone outside of ourselves, right? Like we definitely would have conversations about it at home. We always have had great communication and um, we would try to come up with ways to make it better. But fighting about money in our financial state, that was really the only thing that we would ever argue about. We never really had anything else that would come up. But if we were fighting, that was what it was about. That was the source of the stress and frustration within our relationship, in our marriage. And I do think that, you know, had we not been so prideful, had we not been so embarrassed or afraid of looking stupid or ashamed that we didn't have this figured out already. Like it kind of feels embarrassing because you think I'm an adult. Everyone else has this figured out. 
I, you know, I've been doing everything else right. Why can't I get this right? I'm going to look so stupid. I don't want someone to judge me. I don't want to share that. And so instead of asking for help, we continue to struggle and struggle and struggle with it and don't get ourselves anywhere. Right. And so I do look back and I wish that we would have reached out sooner, that we would have sought out help. We would have researched who there was available to help with this or asked more friends or had more money conversations, but it always felt like something embarrassing to have a conversation about that we didn't want to open up about it or admit that maybe we weren't doing as well as what it appeared on the outside. Right. And so I think this is a really common thing for a lot of people that we, you know, portray our life in one way and we want it to be the truth. Like we want it to be the truth so badly. And we're looking around at all of our friends and our peers and coworkers and we're thinking, they've got it figured out. Like it looks like they're doing great. And we visit their house and they've got a beautiful house and great furniture and a wonderful yard and they're going on vacations. And we're thinking, when I go on vacation, I'm super stressed and I'm putting it on a credit card, but I'm smiling in all the pictures. So everyone else thinks that I'm doing just great. And we're kind of all like covering up for this feeling of, you know, uncertainty or insecurity around, are we really doing the best that we can with our money? And kind of doubting that maybe we are. And I really, really wish that I would have had the courage to look for help sooner than we did. But thank God we eventually did find a way, got the education, learned the tools that we needed. I say I went back to school one last time, you know, paying for coaching. It's, a, it's an investment and it's big and it's scary. And yet it was the least expensive of all of my education by far. And it has been the most fruitful of all of my education because it has allowed me to keep more of my money than I ever was able to in the past. So um, those are my really big money mistakes, I think. This not, not investing early, wishing that I could go back, wishing that I could have had some guidance from parents or loved ones that would have said, you know, this is what we're doing and kind of held my hand through that, got me started with investing very early. I wish that I would have known more about the overall costs of college and how to get scholarships, apply for them, look at the cost of my education to make sure I did not come out with as much in student loans as what I did. I wish that we would not have purchased our house without having a very clear and concrete plan for our finances, knowing that this was the best financial decision for us, because for us, it was not. It was a big, big, bad financial boo-boo. So wish that we would have researched that and gotten a concrete answer with that. The fourth thing is that I wish that I had not had the mindset and the belief that I deserved it or I had earned it for so long. I wish that I would have figured that out for what it was, had someone pointed out to me that what a problem it was that we spent our money with that rationalization and through that lens. And then the fourth thing is I really, or the fifth thing is that I really wish that we would have sought out help earlier, that we would have known that there was a way to get education around our finances to help us get set up and prepared for life at a much earlier age and before we found ourselves in as much financial turmoil as what we were when we finally did reach out for help. 
So I'm super curious if any of you relate to any of these things, if this gives you something to be aware of or take action around, if you've got those high school or college age students um, to help them, guide them in the correct way, or if you've been looking at buying a house and like now this is giving you some insight about maybe it would be best to seek out very concrete advice and numbers around what you can truly afford so you do not wind up a little bit house poor like what we found ourselves uh, living. And um, yeah, I would love your guys' feedback if you love this podcast. And like I mentioned, there will be another show coming very soon. I'm interviewing Pam Andrews, the scholarship shark, and she is going to be giving all sorts of really good insights and tips and stories about the students that she has helped with her college admissions consulting to get scholarships for college, reduce the overall costs of their education. One of the things I really wish I would have done. So stay tuned for that because it is coming soon. All right, that's all for now. I'll see you guys next time. If you would like more information about how we can help you take the stress out of money with one-on-one financial coaching, please check out our website, www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. And please join our private Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash fiscal fitness money. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com and join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. We'll see you on the next episode of the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money. 